Dear congregation, when David was about to be crowned as king over all Israel, tens of thousands of peoples streamed from every direction in the land of Israel, all to the feet of David, to fall at his feet. And they were all kinds of people. There were fighters, there were military heroes, There were young people, there were disenchanted ones, disenfranchised and discontent people, all of them coming, coming out of the old regime of Saul and coming to the feet of David. And of one of them we read in 1 Chronicles 12 verse 18 that the Spirit came upon Amasai who was the chief of the captains, and he said, Thine are we, David, and on thy side, thou son of Jesse, peace, peace be unto thee, and peace be to thine helpers, for thy God helpeth thee. And this congregation is not the only time when scores of people from all walks of life, has streamed to God's anointed. For this happened as well to the Lord Jesus Christ when he was upon the earth. So many came from all corners of the land of Israel and even outside of Israel. And they came to the feet of the Lord Jesus as he drew them, all of them, out of their sin, with all their needs, to his very feet. But what he did while he was on the earth, he does so gloriously, so spectacularly, now that he has taken the very throne of heaven. And this is exactly what our psalm is about, as we hope to hear with the help of the Lord. But first, a word or two about this psalm. Psalm 110, and you may wish to have it open with you as we go through just a few things before we focus, especially on the words of our text in verse 3. Because Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And it is because it speaks so clearly about the Lord Jesus Christ and his coronation. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit. And young people, when would someone sit, someone of great importance like a king? Well, he would sit when all his battles had been fought and when he would take the throne and be seated upon the throne in order to rule with his scepter over those who had been given to him. And that's what the first verse especially speaks about. Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool to bend down before thee and submit to thy reign. If verse 1 speaks about Christ's coronation, then verse 2 speaks about his conquest. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. 
And this is speaking about how the Lord Jesus Christ, seated on the throne of heaven, would by his rod, which is his word, he would rule in the midst of this world. He would bring nations under his dominion. His word would have effect as the apostles brought the word of Christ far and near in the ancient world. What happened? High and low, poor and rich, men and women, they came under the sway under the scepter of the Lord Jesus Christ. He in heaven, not seen with a physical eye by any, and yet his word, his rod went forth and brought the nations under his dominion. But this is not where the psalm speaks. It goes on not only to speak about his coronation, verse 1, his conquest, verse 2, but it speaks now thirdly about his congregation, about his people. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. And this says a number of things about the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, about his people. First of all, they are the Lord's people. Thy people. That means they belong not to themselves, but they belong to the Lord. Now it is spoken here about enemies, verses 1 and 2. And now it switches to thy people. What is this speaking about? Well, this is speaking about those who are lost in sin just like everyone else. Undone. Rebels against God. Enemies of His grace. And yet those whom God has from eternity had His eye upon them. Those who He has named in His covenant of grace and covenant of redemption. Those of whom He spoke to Abraham saying His people are as many as the stars of the heaven and the sand by the seashore in multitude. These are people who have been given by the Father and to the Son. And congregation, these are people from every walks of life, all of them sinners. In fact, in many cases, among the vilest and most wretched sinners that you could imagine, Abraham an idolater, Rahab, an harlot, Ruth, the Moabitess, Saul of Tarsus, an enemy of Christ and of his people, who dragon-like breathed out threatenings and slaughter against the church. And yet, he was to be God's son. God's child, thy people. When Paul was going upon a missionary journey, on one instance in the city of Corinth, he hadn't even preached the gospel, and he was discouraged and afraid. There were no converts in Corinth, and what did the Lord say? The Lord came to him and said, I have much people in this city. Now, there was no one saved yet. The gospel hadn't reached there yet, but God had a people whom he had chosen in his son 
and he was to bring them to his son. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh unto me I shall in no wise cast out. But they belong to the Lord. They are the Lord's. And they come in time to know what it is that they are not their own, but belong. Belong unto another. Thy people. A miracle, isn't it? That out of the whole human race there would be a people of whom the Lord says, They shall be mine. But secondly, these people are not just the Lord's people. They are a holy people. Notice this. In the beauties of holiness. What does this mean? Literally, it means in holy garments, in holy array. You see, congregation, in paradise, that's how we were created in holiness and righteousness. We knew our Creator. We walked with Him in the cool of the day. We delighted to bask in the favor of God our Creator. We knew then what holiness was. But we lost it. We left our first estate. We turned from holiness. And instead of holiness, we love sin. We love unholiness. We love all that is a stain, a blot upon holiness. And we are thoroughly unholy. We are leprous. We are defiled. Now friend, you realize that when you sinned in Adam, you took your holiness and you threw it away in an instant. You became unholy, thoroughly unholy, polluted. But here is a people of whom we read in the beauties of holiness. But besides them being called the Lord's people and being a holy people, we're focused here, and this is our real um, focus today, is they, they are called a willing people. Thy people shall be willing. And with the help of the Lord, we wish to focus on that As we find it in the words of our text, which we'll read one more time, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. Our theme looking to the Lord this evening is willing in the day of power. We'll see, first of all, in what ways the Lord makes a willing people. In what ways they're willing. And then, secondly, why they are willing. In what ways they are willing and why they are willing. And then we'll have some applicatory thoughts. Willing in the day of power. In what ways they are willing and why they are willing. Thy people shall be willing. Now this word willing is a very interesting word. It literally means free will offerings. Free will offerings. And it's in the plural. And some have translated it, thy people will be willingnesses. They will be all of them. 
like free will offerings to the Lord. Now, when we speak of free will offerings, of course, we don't imply that people have a free will um, by, by nature and they're lost to state. No, our will is bound. But when we speak of free will offerings, and I'm sure you do this as well, uh, we speak of those things that, that voluntarily you give. You're not taxed for this. This is not imposed upon you. But from out of your, your, your own the willingness of your own heart, voluntarily, cordially, heartily, you give to the Lord. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. So when it uses this word free will offerings, it's, re, it's using a word that the Lord uses also in the Old Testament laws where the Lord specified certain tithes and offerings and specifically free will offerings. And here this is said to be true of the Lord's people. They are free will offerings unto the Lord. Well, congregation, this, this is a great miracle. If it was a miracle that these people were the Lord's people and these people were a holy people, if those were miracles, isn't this a great, great miracle? Thy people shall be willing. For who, by nature, is willing to give himself unto the Lord? The truth of the matter is that by our fall into sin, we are stubbornly unwilling. To a man, each of us, born in sin. Do you know what we are willing to do? We are willing to sin. We are willing to stay in sin. We are willing to serve Satan and self. And we are willing to go lost. That's what we're willing to do by nature. And the Lord Jesus Christ said this in John 5, verse 46, he said this to the people, and in them he, he, he could say this to the whole entire world. Ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. That's our condition by nature. We find life in ourselves. We seek to make ends meet spiritually. We, we seek to produce life ourselves. But to come to Christ, no sinner of himself or herself has ever willed to come to Christ. No. And in fact, the, the Bible goes further. It tells us in 2 Timothy 2 verse 26 that we are captives of Satan at his will. Man by nature does the will of Satan. He's like a puppet. Children, you know what a puppet is, don't you? A puppet is controlled by a mechanism whereby the, the hands and the feet, they move according to what the person who's controlling that puppet does. And the Bible says that, that man by nature, he is controlled by Satan. Keep that in mind. Not just for yourself by nature, but also for what is happening around us. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. And sometimes we look around us in our world and we say, how can this go so badly? How can we be moving so fast and so furiously towards self-destruction as a society? Well, there is a prince of the power of the air. And the truth of the matter is we, we are willing subjects of him. We chose that long ago. 
Have you, have you ever found that out? Have you ever discovered that your will is corrupt and it's bent against God, against his law? And that you, left to yourself, without God's grace, you're willing to do anything and everything except what God calls you to do. Well, congregation, this would remain this way if it were not. And this is what our text is speaking about here. Were it not that God, for reasons known only to himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has made a way for sinners to be made willing in the day of his power. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. I can scarcely at this moment think of a greater a truth to encourage those who feel themselves so bound, so unwilling, so corrupt within. God says in his word, thy people shall be willing. Well, this brings us then to consider for a few moments what ways God makes his people to be willing. And we have five or six here for you to consider on the basis of God's word. When God makes people willing, he makes them willing, first of all, to agree what God says about them in his word. By nature, we read the word of God and Indeed, at at some religious level and in terms doctrinally speaking and with some head knowledge, indeed, we can agree that we are depraved, we're born in sin, we are raised to think that way. But when someone comes to you, and especially in a very personal matter, and they put their finger on your actions and on your character and on your life, and they say, you know, you are really a stubborn rebel against God. There's something within us that rises up and says, who are you to say that? Sure, I sin. Sure, I go astray, but I'm trying my best. And and look over there. That person is no better. In fact, they're worse. When God works by His Spirit in our hearts, one of the things He makes us willing to do is He makes us willing to acknowledge that what God says in His Word about us is true to the jot and to the tittle. We read about Manasseh, that when he was in tribulation, in prison, he came to acknowledge the Lord, that he was God. And along with that came the acknowledgement that everything that God says about us is true. Have you ever come to see your name written in Scripture, also in terms of your sin? When you read in the Psalms things like iniquities prevail against me. Can you say that for yourself? Iniquities prevail against me. They're too strong for me. I am evil. Born in sin. Thou desirest truth within. You learn to agree with God what he says in his word concerning you. When it comes to that in our lives and we learn to say something like this, we say against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And when our hearts acknowledge that in truth, 
It is a willingness, not of ourselves, but a willingness that the Lord has put there. But not only are we made willing to acknowledge what God says about us in his word, but we are also willing to repent of our sins, that is, to turn from them. In fact, we want nothing more. Yes, we we want pardon for sin, but we also want a peace that endures, and we want our pollution taken away. We want this addiction to idols. We want that removed. We learn to say with Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? We want them gone. We see that sin has ruined us. And what ruins us must go. We become willing to repent in God's way. Leaning on God in accordance with his word. But thirdly, congregation, when the Lord makes us willing in the day of his power, he makes us also willing to be saved God's way. Not with our own righteousness, which is according to the law. You see, there was a time in Saul's life, Saul of Tarsus, in which he was doing, working, producing, effecting. But it was all his own righteousness. The righteousness which was according to the law. When God makes you willing in the day of his power, then he makes you willing to be saved by the righteousness of Christ alone in a gospel way. Then then you're sick and tired of all false refuges. Then you, you must have Christ and him crucified. And, and you say with, with Paul, you say, I would know nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Then you don't want some half self-righteousness and half Christ-righteousness. No. Then Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. You fall upon righteousness and you submit yourself to being saved by God's righteousness. The Lord says about Israel in Romans chapter 10 that their great error, their great mistake is they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God in Christ. There's one thing a sinner won't do and that is to bend and bow under the righteousness of Christ as a sinner and nothing more. He wants to be something. He wants to maintain himself. When God makes you willing, You want to be saved in a gospel way. And fourthly, God makes you willing to believe the promises of God and to live by faith all the days of your life and not by sight. He makes you willing to embrace the whole covenant of God which is ordered in all things and sure. And he makes you willing to commit the safekeeping of your soul unto a great Savior. then the promises of God may at times see, seem too good to be true. How can it be that the Lord would say to someone like me, I have blotted out thine iniquities as a thick cloud. And you look at that promise and you, can, you say, how can that be for someone like me? And yet it is clear in that text and throughout the scriptures, it's for sinners. Jesus came into the world sinners to save. This is a faithful saying. 
And the promises of God are for sinners in the gospel. Held out for sinners, not the righteous. Not the righteous. Sinners. Jesus came to save. Then your heart is melted. You embrace these promises. You can't live by anything less than the promises of God. They are great and precious promises. You need the Lord. You need his word. You need especially the promises of God. And fifthly, congregation, when you're made willing in the day of God's power, you're made willing to come under Christ as prophet, Christ as priest, and Christ as king. You need him in all his offices. You need him as the king priest of Psalm 110 who's seated on the throne, but who is also made a priest after the order of Melchizedek. One who in very, in his one person, is both God and man, but also the one to teach you and to lead you and direct you. And also the one to sacrifice for you who has given his life as a sacrifice for you. He is your only priest. And now in heaven he's interceding and you don't want it any other way. You must have him as your priest. Not some human priest. Not an earthly priest. Not to be your own priest or prophet. And you need Lord, the Lord also to be your king, to rule over you, to defend you and fight your battles for you. You don't want half a Christ. You don't want him simply to pay the debt of your sin, but you want to guide your life yourself. You want to rule over your life yourself. No, you've come to an end of that. Oh, you fall, you stray many times. You don't desire it as you need to and as you wish to. And yet, when the Lord brings you in that place, it must be prophet, priest, and king all together for me. I need him so much. And you sit at his feet like Mary. The one thing needful to learn of him. For he is meek, lowly of heart. And you find rest for your souls as you you sit at his feet. You need his sacrifice for your sin every day. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You need to live close to Calvary every day. Oh, you stray, you backslide, you turn away from it. You try to produce some righteousness, even after grace, but the Lord breaks it up into your hands and you run as a poor and needy sinner afresh to the cross and you say, save me or I die. You come to know what it is to kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. What a blessing it is that he allows himself to be kissed by a sinner like you. You kiss his feet out of respect and adoration. You learn to cry even, oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. You become willing in the day of Christ's power. And lastly, congregation, here under this this first point, he makes you willing in principle to follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. 
So we read in Revelation 14, verse 4, of all the people of the Lord, that they learn to desire to follow the Lamb whithersoever. They need to be behind the Lamb. Many times they, 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 they go ahead of Him. Many times they stray. I have lost the way. But in your heart of hearts, you need him and you need him close. You need, you need to know his footsteps, that by grace you would plant your feet in his footsteps, that you would follow him, joyfully bearing your cross, to see him, to need him, to live under his shadow, under the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. For him to be far is more bitter than death. To have him close, that's when you're at home. Still closer to thy side I press, for near thee all is well. You need him near also to cast your cares upon him. So often you find yourself carrying this heavy load of cares, cumbered, burdened but there he is he says in his word casting all thy cares upon me for I care for you and you become willing in principle to follow him whithersoever he goes whatever path he chooses for your life no matter how dense the jungle is if he but goes before and cuts a path for your feet. No matter how deep the valley is through which he determines you must go, he'll make Baca to be a well. And he makes you to climb steep hills and your strength fails. And you feel you can't go another step. Then he lifts you up. And he holds you close. When the rocky soil on which you walk is too sharp, he helps you. He strengthens you with might in the inner man. And at times he carries you upon his strong shoulders. But oh, to follow the lamb whithersoever he goes. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is this not the desire of your heart? Has the Lord not made you willing, willing in all these respects? Perhaps you're here tonight and you say, you know, I wish, I just so wish this stubborn, unwilling heart of mine that it would be made willing. I feel like an, an iron bar that's bent the wrong way. It should be straight, but it's bent every direction. Incurable. I've tried to turn my life around, but I can't. It's too hard. It's too strong for me. Oh, my friend, hear the words of the text. Thy people shall be willing. It doesn't say thy people shall make themselves willing. 
Thy people shall be willing. There's a great miracle in that. You know what God's people find out, and that is that the willingness is never in self. Even after grace, if you, if you had to contribute somehow to your own willingness, no. It's all of grace. It's all of God. It's, to, to use the picture of this iron, this iron that you can't make soft, that you can't make pliable, that you can't make, that you can't bend. Perhaps the best that you could do is you could break it and it's, it's, it's useless. But the Lord comes with the heat of his word, blessed by the spirit in your life. And, and as a divine blacksmith, he heats up this unbendable iron of your own will in the heat of the fire of his providence in your life, blessed by the Spirit. And his word, his word does this work in your life. You begin to melt. And indeed, there's lots of combustion, there's lots of rebellion, there's lots of kicking against the pricks, but don't you think this heavenly blacksmith can soften the most hardened will. He's done it. He's done it for some here. If you're honest, child of God, you'll say, listen, there's no way that I could do anything in my own life to soften my own will, to melt my own heart. I tried it. just became harder, more frustrated. Thy people shall be willing. But we can never do in and of ourselves. The Lord works to make a people to will and to do of his good pleasure. And this is the great gift of God in his mercy and his power as we hope to see in our second point. Why? Why this people is made willing. Well, congregation, there is in the text here, there are three things that make clear why it is that sinners like you and me are made willing in the day of God's power. And the first is that sinners like us are made willing because it is a day of royal power. Remember, it's speaking here about the coronation of Christ. Christ is on the throne. He has all power. Didn't he say this to his disciples? On the eve of his ascension, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and on the earth. Power to break your heart. Sinner here tonight, all power. He has all power. All principalities, all powers are under his feet. He rules and reigns. And none can withstand his power. And the Lord demonstrated that power, for example, in the day of Pentecost, 10 days after the ascension, when the Lord from heaven poured forth his spirit. He has shed abroad this, which ye now see and hear. He poured forth his spirit, a spirit of fire and of burning. You see the heavenly blacksmith send forth his spirit. And that spirit came down and what happened? 3,000 rebels, all of them, unwilling to be saved, all of them by nature. The Holy Spirit worked in such a way that they were made willing in the day of God's power under the preaching of the word. 
through the application of the Holy Spirit. Here are people crying out, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? They're made willing in the day of God's power. And just hours earlier, certainly days earlier, they had called for the crucifixion of Christ. Crucify Him, crucify Him. Peter says this, the day of Pentecost, you by wicked hands have killed the Prince of Life whom God has raised up. You see, congregation, this is a day of regal power. When God stopped Saul of Tarsus, how did that happen? Well, Christ from heaven. Do you know what he did? He simply pulled back the curtain of heaven so that there a blinding light fell on Saul of Tarsus. Just a little glimpse of the light, of the glory of the ascended Savior, Jesus Christ. And Saul was at his feet crying out, Lord, who art thou? And what wouldst thou have me to do? He would have never said that. In a million years, were it not for the melting power of Jesus Christ in Saul's soul. But how about Lydia? Lydia, by the riverside, there she is. No light from heaven, no physical light from heaven. But there under the preaching of Paul, something happens. From heaven there comes this unseen hand into Lydia's heart, whose heart the Lord opened. He had the key, and he opened her heart. And she was made willing in the day of God's power, right there under the preaching of God's word. She was softened within, and the fruits of it were immediately apparent. She gave up everything. Her whole house, her whole life, from then on was the Lord's. Thy people shall be made willing in the day of thy power. Believers among us today, God saved you in a day of his power. It wasn't the day of your power. In fact, the very opposite. It was a day of utter helplessness in your soul, utter weakness in your soul. And it wasn't the preacher's power either. Never think that. There's no preacher who can save you. There's no man who can exert that power, that influence, that melts your heart. And that makes you willing in the day of his power. Yes, God uses means, but it's the Lord who reaches down and does it. And he does it in a way that brings all honor and glory to him, not unto us. God will not share his glory with another. Watch then against that of crediting man in any way with the melting of your heart. It's the word, it's the spirit, it's Christ. It's God. It was a day of power, believer, when you were saved. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Men would have looked at that sermon and listened to that sermon and said, that's a weak preacher. That's a timid preacher, a fearful preacher, trembling preacher. 
He didn't compare with the rhetoricians of his day. But under the influence of the word preached, the Spirit of God had his way with souls. And Christ became everything to them. The righteousness, the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification, and the redemption, the full redemption. Christ was all. You see, it takes power. But he has power. It is a blessed power. It is often, congregation, a very quiet power. Indeed, there may be times when the preaching comes with thunder and lightning, as it were. One preacher said of a sermon, he said, there was lots of thunder and lightning, but I was wishing for some rain. Willing in the day of his power. From the womb of the morning. You see, congregation, it is not just regal power or royal power, but it's, secondly, the power of a new creation. Because there's this interesting word here in our text that says, from the womb of the morning. This power that makes a people willing, it comes from the womb of the morning. Well, what does that mean? Well, you've got to remember that the Hebrew mind is very poetic. They love to paint pictures. And so they pictured here the day coming forth out of the womb of the night. And the new day would come and emerge out of, out of the night. And how does the morning come? It comes very softly, very gently. A ray of light. If you've ever been awake at 3, 4 in the morning, in summertime or so, or later in the winter. But there it is. It's, it's black. And then all of a sudden there's a hue of orange, of purple red, whatever it is, just a slight hue. You, you wonder what it is even. Is that morning? Is that morning coming? You keep looking, you keep watching, and there, out of the, in the language of the text, out of the womb of the night, there comes the morning, the new day, the dawning of a new, new day. That's how the Hebrews thought about it. And, and, so, and, and over a few hours, there, there are the birds greeting the new day, and the animals, and people, they all wake up. You see, there's effect, and it's power, the power of the sun as it strikes the earth at those particular places, but it's subtle, it's soft. It often goes very, very unnoticed at first, but that's the power the Lord Jesus Christ, the womb of the morning. You see, congregation, this draws our attention to that day, that awful day when the sun was darkened, when night came over this earth, when the Lord Jesus Christ suffered in the forsakenness of outer darkness. And it was actually noonday sun when he suffered, the extremity of his suffering, but the sun was darkened. And he went down into the grave, the darkness of the grave. But what happened on that third day, before the dawning of the day, before the sun struck that part of the earth, the sun of righteousness arose with healing in his wings from the womb 
of the morning. And that's how the Lord still works today. He applies resurrection power in the stillness, in the darkness of natural life. A sinner comes into a place like this, lost, dark, dead in sins and trespasses. No ray of light in their soul at all. And through the preaching of the word so silently, the Son of Righteousness pierces, probes, melts. First slow, often. But that's power. It's invincible power. Who can turn the axis of the earth to keep the sun from shining? If someone could even do that, no one can do this. No one can stop. The work of grace in the soul. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. And congregation, it's all because the Lord in the never begun eternity, when his father said, who will go? There, in the Trinity, there is the voice of the Son who says, lo, I come. I will pay. I will procure a ransom. I will redeem lost sinners of Adam's race. I will go. And so congregation, we look at the Lord Jesus Christ from the very beginning of his revelation all the way to his glory. What is that pathway that he trod all the way to the throne of God? It was willingness, 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 willingness. At every point of the law of God, at every point that the Father had placed upon him, there was no reluctance. Nevertheless, not my will, he said, in order that we would know it. In the anguish of his suffering, not my will, but thy will be done. He was willing. And your salvation Dear believer, depends on his willingness. And your willingness comes forth out of his willingness, applied to your soul by the operation of the Holy Spirit. And congregation, this is a power that as long as this earth shall last, shall never fade, never dissipate. And this is what the last part of our text says. And note these words well. Interesting words. The last part of verse 3, thou hast the dew of thy youth. Again, the picture, children, is that of a new day. Have you ever gone out on a summer's day early in the morning before the sun can beat upon the earth too long and it hasn't rained? But then you look closely at the grass, at the green grass, and there's millions of droplets all over your lawn. What a wonder. What a power. While you were sleeping. Nothing you did. Nothing your parents did. But God did all of that. And what the text is saying here is just like the dew comes down unseen, untriggered by man, so the Lord always has the dew of his youth, that freshness of the morning. The Lord Jesus Christ will never grow old. Even though his kingdom has lasted now for thousands of years, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And congregation, don't forget that. 
Because sometimes people say, and I understand why they say it, but they say, we live in post-Christian times. And perhaps at some level I can agree with that, as long as you don't mean by that, that we live in post-Christ times. Because we don't, and we can't, and Christ is on the throne, and He has the dew of His youth. He is forever the same. He is gloriously fresh, new, splendid. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but Christ has the dew of his youth. Quite a few young people here tonight. And the world is telling you something. And they're telling you that you only are young ones. And that's true. But what you do with that makes a big difference. You can never say that about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is forever young. He has the dew of his youth. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It will never grow old. Even into eternity. It will be forever new, forever radiant, forever splendid, glorious. We fade and die like flowers that grow in beauty. But never will he. He has the dew of his youth. And friends, that's where our hope is. Also for you young people. Congregation, Young and old, we need this Savior. We need this power. We need this work. We need this royal Savior. As we close three thoughts, first of all, do you know something? Something of this willingness, the stubbornness of your heart has been affected by God, the Holy Spirit, from out of Christ. Oh, you are not where you would be. You're up against yourself every day. You have to daily grieve because of the weakness of your flesh, the infirmities of your flesh. But I ask you today, do you need this willing-making, willing-making Lord? I want to say this. You may doubt your own willingness to be saved, but never doubt His willingness to save sinners to the uttermost. He is as willing today as He ever was. He is willing that sinners should come. Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. His willingness is so comprehensive, so glorious. If you're here today and you fear that you're not willing, and you fear that your unwillingness to be saved on God's terms, in God's way, will land you in hell, oh, my friend, 
Kiss the sun tonight. Fall at his feet tonight. You've heard about a glorious Lord, a lovely Lord, a precious Lord, an able Lord, a willing Lord. Fall in with him. I knew a minister who most times when he preached, he would ask his congregation, one of the last things he would say in the sermon is he would say, my unconverted friend, what do you have against Christ? What do you have against him? You must have something against him. Or you would fall in with him. What do you have against him? Where, where does he fail a sinner who comes with all the lostness and sin of his soul who come today Well, he proffers peace and pardon. Hear his voice today. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. In congregation, thirdly and lastly, shouldn't we pray for a day of power? Oh, I know. Ever since the ascension of Christ, it is a day of power. Christ has all power, all authority in heaven and in earth. I said to you earlier, some question, some think we're in post-Christian days. Well, shouldn't we storm the mercy seat of this willing Savior? Doesn't he call us to do exactly that? Shouldn't we take hold of him in prayer and say, Lord, come. Be the dew of heaven for us. Show that thou hast the dew of thy youth. Give us a new morning, a new dawn. Also for myself, long, long has been the midnight. We need a new day. We need a new dawn. We need Christ in our hearts by faith. We need this beauty of holiness, the womb of the morning. We need this willingness. Oh, Lord, thou art the potter. I am the clay. Lord, may it always be so. And then, congregation, I ask you, people streamed far and wide to the feet of David from every walks of life, rich, poor. What will you do with this Christ? He's on the throne. He calls heaven and earth. He calls sinners far and wide. Come, come, kiss me. Where are you? Come, my friend. All things are ready. Amen. Gracious, good doing, almighty Lord God, make us willing today. May today be a day of power. May may today be a day of thy spirit working in our hearts among young and old. May we not despise the day of small things. May today mark a dawning of a new day. May thy people who still feel so much unwillingness from their side, may they lose it all, the willingness of a Savior to save to the uttermost. Oh, dismiss us under thy hands of blessing. Go with us. We pray thee, safeguard us. We know not what awaits us. Save us from an unprepared death. Be with the young people who have traveled 
from far and near to this conference. Go with them on their homeward way. We pray that thou wouldst save them all. Grant none of them in the day of days to find these things to testify against us. Well, what shall that be? Well, make a difference and do it thyself to thy praise and to thy glory. And remember thy dear people who often limp and struggle, sometimes walk in darkness of our own making and have no light. May we stay, stay ourselves upon the Lord our God and find in him everything. Go with us, we pray. We ask for a blessing upon this evening hour too when the young people will meet. Wilt they be in our midst, we pray. And help any and all who are struggling. Every burden is known unto thee. Grant us to know what it is to be willing to cast it upon thee and to find in thee such overwhelming willingness. Oh, Lord, make, make it so. We ask this all out of free grace. In Jesus' name alone, amen.